Thank you for joining us again on this Easter day, the day we celebrate that Jesus is risen. Yet we are celebrating Easter this year at a time of great national and global uncertainty where there's pain and loss and grief. So how do we fit Easter, if you like, into this current situation that we're in? And I was thinking back 2000 years to the first Easter, the city and the nation of Jerusalem was under a rule of a foreign power, the Roman Empire. And imagine what that was like for them for the many, many years that they lived in that situation. The Romans were devastating in their ruthlessness of anyone who opposed them. The hope of every Israelite was for a Messiah to rid them of this oppression. Even today, I'm sure the hope of everyone is for us to be free of this virus so we can get on with living the lives that we want to live. But when Jesus rose from the dead, the Romans were still there. Life, as they knew it, looked as pretty much as it did before, except for those who met the risen Jesus. Their lives were certainly changed forever. And for us today, as we meet the risen Christ, our lives too are changed, because it's only by meeting the living Christ that we know that we can be saved and have eternal life. But we are living in very difficult times and it's good to reflect. It's as though God's kingdom has come but not yet come. It's as though his kingdom is coming one life at a time. Not then nor now is he ruling from an earthly throne. I spoke last week of him being the king that nobody was expecting, not yet overturning disease, decay and death in the world around him and us, but still ruling from heaven as the Prince of Peace in our lives. Peter, the Apostle, said these words in 1 Peter verse 3. He said, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has caused us, or he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And it's this living hope that comes to us because of the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. If there is some silver linings from these very, very difficult times, maybe one of them is causing us to really think deeply about our faith. And is my faith just about God giving me a comfortable life, making everything right around me. As I explained last week, God, through his grace, has given mankind so much, a mandate to rule and subdue and to do good. And by his grace, he has empowered mankind so much to do that. And he's nudged him along the road to make significant life-giving advances. But in a way, sadly, man's independence, self-will, pride, hard heart, Self-centeredness means human government will never ultimately succeed. It will always fail and therefore we look for the coming king to rule and to reign on earth. And I want us therefore just to reflect on the significance of the resurrection for us and indeed for our world today. If someone was to say to you, why is the re resurrection relevant? I had a text this morning, how can I celebrate today when so much is going on? in the world. Intuitively we think we know the answer but it's good 
to think these things through. What are the implications for Jesus' resurrection? Why does it matter so much then and indeed now? Just standing back, I want you to realise that the resurrection came as a complete shock. Terrifying and a surprise to Jesus' disciples. Anyone who says that people see what they want to see or expect to see haven't read the Gospels. Jesus was without question dead in the minds of his followers. They were dejected, sad, disappointed. And in the case of Peter, they were agonizingly remorseful for not standing up for Jesus. But none of them was in any doubt that he was dead. When Jesus rose, it wasn't to great cheers and clouds and applause. They were perplexed, afraid even. Nothing seemed to fit into their understanding of what was going on. It took time, and in some cases years, for the church to really understand the broader significance of his resurrection. But they're good news. In summary, some of them are these, that through his resurrection he'd won a great victory, that death, the greatest enemy, had been overcome. It lost its sting, and one day it would be thoroughly destroyed. Death itself would die. And that was prefigured and seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore those that belong to him and believed in him would no longer need to fear death. It would be a transition because Jesus himself had overcome death for them. They could see the way forward, that he was the way, the truth and the life. He had risen above it and we in him have risen as well. That Jesus was, in a sense, the first the first fruit of the resurrection and therefore that all who believed in him would follow on to the resurrection of the righteous as it's called at the end of the age and that those that believe in him would have a resurrection into a renewed physical body and life after the same pattern of Jesus and that's good news and Paul said didn't he that we should fix our eyes on not the things that are seen but the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are temporal but the things that are seen are not seen are eternal and the resurrection was a pattern of the new creation. And yes, there will be a new creation when all things are restored and renewed. And Jesus, as it were, is waiting in heaven until that day when God will renew all things to a state where death, decay, crying, pain and shame are no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that Jesus' resurrected body was in a sense the beginning of this new creation. It's as though he'd started this process. And therefore, if we're in Christ, Paul teaches that we are a new creation ourselves. And that's exciting and that's good news. All things passed away, new things have come. So the resurrection was in time, but in a sense, it's, it's bringing us into that future time as we enter into his resurrection in him. And these are wide and, and, and amazing points to contemplate and consider but it took the church some time to work these things out and um, we should also be thinking that through what the implications of resurrection is for us today because that's where the power of our new life comes from it comes from a risen Christ but when these things happened firstly the message on the day of Pentecost was much more simple than this and it's one we do well to remember I'm going to read from Acts 2, verse 31. It said, this is Peter speaking, Seeing what was to come, he, David, 
spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. But God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That was their message. God made this Jesus, the crucified one, Lord and Messiah. This is the resurrection message that we would do well to remember. If the cross tells us more than anything else what God is like, that God is love, that he's faithful, that he's compassionate, that he's true, that he's so loved that he gave, that he sent, then the resurrection does more than anything else to reveal the identity of Jesus, that he is the Lord. The resurrection is the vindication of Jesus. That's a kind of technical legal term, vindication. It means a judgment, a declaration, a true verdict. Putting right that was wrong. That he is who he said he was. One of the earliest creeds of the church, a creed is a statement of faith, which Paul quotes in 1 Timothy 3.16 is this, that Jesus appeared in the flesh, but he was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated means he was declared to be right. Let me just strip everything away if I can for a moment. Jesus was condemned by the Jewish court because he claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. And when the Jewish court read that, reached that verdict, they mocked him for his claim to be the Christ. Let me read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 61. In the court, the Sanhedrin, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. They blindfolded him, beat him with rods, and said, Prophesy! Because they mocked him to be a religious, spiritual, prophetic figure. They said, Prophesy! Who hit you? They spat at him, they hit him, they ridiculed his claim to be the Christ. And then they handed him over to the Romans to crucify him. When they took him to Pilate, Pilate was less interested in their religious disputes. So they made the charge against him that Jesus was the king, the king of the Jews. This charge against Jesus before the Romans, before the nations, was that he was the king and he was mocked for this. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they crushed it into his head. 
They clothed him in a purple robe. Purple is the sign of kingship. They went up to him again and again saying, Hail, hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. They put the charge above his cross, the king of the Jews. To the Jews it was blasphemy. To the Romans it was because he said he was a king. His flogging and mocking and spitting and humiliating and killing by crucifixion was the ignominious, humiliating death of a slave or a common criminal, a person condemned. It was the exercise of military power and might to take away someone's life by force. They could do that and they did it. The Roman army represented power, military power, economic power, human power, philosophical power in a sense, and maybe above all spiritual power that was behind the whole domination of kingdoms of this world. It was as if the human powers and the dark spiritual powers aligned in crucifying Jesus, the Son of God, shaming him, despising him, and because this was the predetermined plan and will of God to take away our sins, like a lamb before them, he laid down his life. The resurrection by the Spirit was the overturning of this shame into victory. It broke the power. It undermined it. It showed that his power was so much greater than theirs because he rose from their imposed death. So there's a question of authority and power. And there's a question also that the resurrection is God honouring the Lamb, God honouring the Son and exalting him to the highest place. He who was obedient unto the point of death in his love and commitment to the Father as a human being, God exalted to the highest place. The resurrection is a declaration of who Jesus is. The charge that he said he was the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. The condemnation was that he said he was a king. The resurrection is God's declaration that he is who he said he is. He is the universe's Lord, King and God's Son. As the song says, he is Lord, he is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul in writing to the Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says these words about God's Son Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection was a declaration. When Peter preached he said let all Israel know for sure God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. He has exalted him to the highest place. When Peter went into a Roman household of Cornelius, he told them that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord. Let me read that again in Acts 10.36. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Quite a statement to make in a Roman household where Caesar was Lord. Peter declares very clearly, he is Lord of all. So his resurrection is heaven's eternal megaphone. He is Lord, the living Lord, the risen Saviour and King. 
Peter says in Acts 2, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And again in Acts 3, he says to them, you disown the Holy One, the Righteous One, and ask for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the Prince of Life, but God raised him from the dead, to which we are witnesses. This is so fundamental to the Gospel that Paul describes Jesus and his Gospel in these simple words in 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David, this is my Gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my Gospel. The implication for us is this, that the living, living risen Lord is our saving hope. And that saving hope is found in his resurrection, that he is alive, that he is Lord of all. Knowing that he is the living Lord is the gateway to salvation. Paul writes these words in Romans 10 and verse 8. Let me read them slowly to you. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. That if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are made right. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus came to die in our place as the sacrifice for our sin. And through the wonders and mercies of God, the Bible says that we died with him. But in his resurrection, that sacrificial work is completed. We are joined to him and thus rise with him into new life. His resurrection shows that we are free and alive in him. Only through this union with the resurrected Christ do we benefit from his death, the forgiveness of sins, and have peace with God. And that's what we need today beyond anything else. We need to know God's peace and peace with God and trust and have an eternal assurance. So if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the one who lives is in us by his spirit and we confess with our mouths that we live our lives in obedience to his lordship then we have the assurance based on God's word that we are rescued we are saved we are delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear son this is the message of the gospel is that we submit our lives to the lordship of Jesus and the love of God we are saved and we invite this fallen world in its pain, in its uncertainty and in its fear to join us in bowing the knee to the risen Saviour who is the Lord, who is the only one who can put things right. And We look to him, we thank him for his mercy, we thank him for his grace, we thank him for how he's empowered people with love and compassion to minister and to help and to serve other people. But ultimately our strength fails us. But it's only God who is the strength of our lives. So let's just pray together. God, we thank you that through Jesus, 
you brought to us new life through his resurrection from the dead. We thank you that the message